Hello and welcome to Babe Cave. I am Amanda Pollock and this is a Samantha Chalmers episode. Samantha is a for real boss babe, marketing genius, sweet, wonderful, thoughtful human being, has some of the most eloquent posts on the internet. You get to meet her right now. Samantha, Hello. thank you so much for being on the show. Hello, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. It is so exciting. So I'm just going to jump into it. Okay. We have been Let's talking about having you on the show for a long time. And yes. really, the other day, you had posted uh, something on on Facebook that was so thoughtful and eloquent and yet heartbreaking. Uh talking about uh, birthright citizenship. And we have had some conversations that I think the Babe Cave community overall needs to be a part of because I think a lot of us are talking about this. So so let's just, let's go there. Let's just get okay. deep. Let's real do quick. it. Oh man. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Yeah. So how do you want me to start talking about, do you want me to talk about the Facebook post first or do you want me to talk about um, my family, yeah, my family's I mean, immigration think, story? Yeah. Like let's, let's start with the Facebook post, like just overall. Cause I think. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Will, yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, really this started for me, I mean, the day Trump was elected or even before when he was campaigning, you know, and he's talking about banning all Muslims. Um, I, <sighs> I, it's uh, sorry, I'm getting flabbergasted already just because I can't. Yeah, it's good. so hard for me to even like fathom the fact that like he can stand behind the seal of the presidency and mm -hmm. in like the highest office of this nation and talk so negatively, negatively about so many different, so many groups of people, you know, in this country. Yeah. Anyway, so. From the day he was elected, I think I posted something and it was very emotional. I don't know that this you could classify this as one of my eloquent Facebook posts, but <laughs> I really was like, you guys, like, what the hell just happened? Like, how did how did we get here? How did we get here? How did so many people overlook the fact that he is a blatant racist, that he is a sexist, a misogynist, all of these things that he's like publicly bragged about sexually assaulting women and not just our country, not just like a, a base of um, Republican voters, but the church. How can I move mm. past the fact that the church supports this man, that the church voted for this man, that all of these evangelical people decided to throw their hat in to his ring. Like this is something that I'm so passionate about because I grew up in white America. I was born in South Dakota and I grew up going to a North American Baptist church. Like, so I, mm -hmm. I'm so invested in this community and fascinated by how they're able to support somebody who so obviously contradicts everything that we're taught in the Bible. Um, yeah. everything that, that Jesus said while he walked on this earth. So anyway, uh, back to my Facebook post. <laughs> I've been <laughs> sorry. I've no, been, don't be um, sorry. It's all good. <laughs> so I've been really like sort of nervous every time the topic of immigration um, comes up. Like I've just been 
sort of more attuned to that topic because my parents are immigrants. Um, so many people in my family immigrated from India to the United States. Um, and so we are Christians, um, and he's never, ever attacked Christian immigrants, but he doesn't really like, he doesn't specify. And when he does specify, he says the criminals or the illegals. But I mean, I have to be honest, like, I don't really believe that at all. Um, because you can Google, you can Google legal deportation or legal green card deportation and, um, he's already been doing that, right? Like we're already deporting legal green card holders because one article I read was somebody had like some type of crime or I don't even know the difference between a felony and a misdemeanor. So I can't speak to all of what this person's history was. It was, mm -hmm. it was a domestic violence case that was 20 years ago. And he had, this person had a clean record since then. Um, and he was deport, he was deported. And he had been a legal green card holder for 20 plus years. So, you know, there, these mm -hmm. things are happening, right? Like he wants to end the DACA program, which we finally overcame that issue. So I'm, I've always been attuned to this topic. And I, I sort of sensed that there would become a day when he tried to overturn the 14th Amendment. He campaigned on it. I don't know if a lot of people remember that, but he would he would uh, stoke his base, as they like to say, with the 14th Amendment, saying people who were born here to illegal, to non-citizen parents should not be granted citizenship. So when he says that in such sweeping generalizations, um, I have to take note because that affects me. So that's what I posted mm -hmm. about when that um, when that broke right before the midterms that he was wanting to overturn the 14th Amendment and revoke citizenship. Um, I had I just felt really strongly that like, OK, like I feel like I'm like a very, a very good representative of what the immigrant story is like. My parents moved here. They did not move here illegally as far as I know. They were both legal green card holders when I was born. Um, my, But they were not citizens, you know? And so even if you were here like on a visa or something like that, you're not, you are not a citizen. You are not granted the ability to vote, you know? Like, um, and so it's just something that caught my attention. And I was like, okay, I want people to know that like, when please don't think about poor Mexican children when you think about revoking these people's citizenships. Please, please think of somebody like me who grew up here. I went to, I went to college here. I have a graduate degree. I have worked my entire life. I've had a job, at least one job, if not more jobs from the time I was 16 years old until this very day. Even the times when I was like unemployed, I was, you know, doing everything I could to uh, pay my bills. I, you know, so I don't know. And I yeah. feel like my story is very representative of what most immigrants experience, but I can only speak for myself. So, yeah, but I think it's uh, the, the thing that struck me about what you said in your post, though, too, was, you know, think of someone who looks like me. Think of think of me when there is talk about immigration, because most of, uh, you know, a, a lot of my friends who are first generation Americans, they don't know anything different, you know, and they, they grew up with families who came here legally, you know, they went through all of the proper mm -hmm. channels and mm -hmm. America is the only home that they know. And there's a lot of people who, you know, even with DACA, 
if you're brought here by your parents, you didn't have a choice. And this is still the country, the land that you know, that you love. I have friends who are who are, are part of DACA and they went to college here. They are, you know, uh, contributing citizens of this country. And I think that the, the sad part is, is that there's just one kind of attack that happens and we're no one really wants to have like a larger conversation of no no it's most likely some people who you work with who you go to church with who you yep. see at the grocery store yep and you you just don't know people's stories and you're just assuming that it's it's one kind of immigrant story and that's that's so far off base Right. And I think, you know, the struggle is that you don't see those stories, right? Like the media doesn't talk about people like me, you know, or like if you're going to watch Fox News, all you see is, you know, B-roll of the the, the migrant caravan of illegal mm-hmm. people, you know, like the, and to me, I, I have to like giggle about that because it's so like far from the truth, right? But, you know, the sad part is that human beings are going to look for the sources that um, are going to consume media from sources that already reinforce what their core beliefs are. So if someone is naturally maybe uh, grew up without a lot of minority presence in their life um, and they, they are looking for the truth on immigration, if they go to a source like NPR, CNN, or um, some of the more like liberal sources, they're going to be uncomfortable, right? Because it's telling them something that isn't what they've been accustomed to hearing or seeing in their everyday life. But if you go to a source like Fox News, um, that will reinforce what you've already experienced in your everyday life. So it's less, it's more comfortable, it's less challenging. And so that's what they naturally tend to. Like, I don't know anybody, I don't know a lot of people who have grown up in major metropolitan cities surrounded by diversity who um, have like a negative view of immigrants. You know, I really don't. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in South Dakota where in the 80s and 90s when I was born, (laughs) I was born in the early 80s, um, growing up there in the 80s and 90s, like my brother and I were one of very few minorities in elementary school, middle school, high school, the only other people of color in our school, um, there were a few that had immigrated just like my parents did and were born mm-hmm. here. But the other people were refugees, refugees that Lutheran Social mm-hmm. Services had brought and sort of, I mean, I feel kind of bad saying this, but sort of dumped in South Dakota because, I mean, I don't know why they had to end up in South Dakota, a place like completely devoid of any other type of culture besides Scandinavian and German heritage, you know? So... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if that's what, was, what they're seeing. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's a good point. And, you know, for a lot of people, they only know what they know. Yeah. And you're, if you, I think that there's also people who might not have grown up around diversity, but there's something where they're curious, you know, they're mm-hmm. just naturally curious of what it is. I mean, I think about that all the time. Like, you could have been born anywhere in the world yeah. to any family. Like you don't have any kind of control over that. And I'm, I've always been fascinated with just like how, if I would have grown up down the street or 
across the country? What, how, how different would I have been? Would my Mm -hmm. views be, would my views have been totally different? Um, but what was that? I mean, in, you, you talked to, I mean, you started talking about it, but like, you know, South Dakota, like how was it that, how was it that your parents ended up there? So that's like kind of, I don't know, a longer story, I guess, but I'll try to condense (laughs) it. Um, So basically what happened, here's like the whole thing from what I understand. So both my parents were born in India. Um, My dad's family moved to London when he was like 10-ish. I don't know exactly the timeline's accurate, but when he was like around 10 years old. So he grew up in London around a lot of other Indian people, but still like Mm -hmm. not in India, right? So, and he went to university there. And then when he was in university, my grandfather, his parents decided that he wanted to, my grandpa decided that he wanted to be um, a Methodist pastor. So he moved to South Dakota because there's a seminary there. And I assume that he must have gotten a scholarship or something. I'm not exactly sure why he chose a seminary in South Dakota, but um, a scholarship is what makes the most sense to me. Um, (laughs) Because there are so many other seminaries all over the United States. Like, why would you choose the one in the middle of South Dakota? I don't fully understand. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so he and my grandmother moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And then my dad decided that he was going to move to America as well. Um, So he was working in IT at the time. And so at the time, like this is late 70s, um, the only city for an IT person really was Sioux Falls. So my dad moved. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) in South Dakota to be closest to his parents, you know, like, gotcha. No, like he couldn't live like like, the only place I was like in the country. That's no, 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 no. Just in the state, just in the state. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I don't know exactly how they chose South Dakota and I don't, I couldn't tell you why they didn't leave after like the first winter, but, um, How I wish they would have sometimes. But anyway, <laughs> um, so my dad's living and working in Sioux Falls. My de- my grandfather at the time had graduated from school and had been um, pastoring a church, uh, I think at the time in Burke, South Dakota, which is like a super teeny tiny town um, in the middle of South Dakota. So my dad's living and working there. And my grandfather says to my dad, son, it's time for you to get married. And my dad says, okay, well, I don't know anybody to marry, so you have to arrange a marriage for me. So my grandparents call a few people in India, arrange a couple of meetings. My dad flies to India. He meets a handful of women. He chooses my mom. My mom is like, hell yeah, I'll marry this guy because I want to move to the United States too. (laughs) And so she says, yes, yes, I'll marry you. And so the the story, the legend is that they... (laughs) They met on a Thursday afternoon. Um, Their engagement ceremony was a a Saturday morning. And then my dad flew back to the United States that Saturday night. (laughs) And then (laughs) nine months later, um, my mom got like, I suppose she got like her visa and her paperwork and everything. And then she, she moved to the U.S. She flew over with her parents. They got married in my grandpa's church of in Burke, South Dakota. And then they have lived and worked in Sioux Falls ever since that time. (laughs) So that's such a cool story. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's very interesting. (laughs) 
my my <sighs> head's just spinning about the whole like engagement, all of that. Like it it's so different so from quickly. how we do it. Oh yeah. And I can't tell you how many times my parents were like, well, we can find you a boy. Cause I didn't meet Luke till I was like <laughs> 30, 31 or 32. I don't even remember. So like, yeah. you know, at that point, if you're an Indian woman and you're not married, it's, you know, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> They're like, we could fix this. Yeah. Don't like we can me. just marry you off. Like we can find somebody easy peasy. And I was like, no, no thanks. Hard pass. Oh my goodness. But they liked each other when they saw each other, right? They, I, I guess mean, so. I, I guess. I'm always, I I'm always mean, curious. Yeah. That's You're so married. I love it. I, I mean, I have heard that arranged marriages do, you know, last longer than most of them where you have to pick your person. Maybe I there's something about true. being set up. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily the component of being set up, but I think it is the mentality in which you enter that marriage that yeah. is that makes a difference, you know, because in most in, uh, arranged marriages that I know, like you enter it sort of <laughs> with the mindset of knowing like, this is going to be hard. I'm about to marry a stranger, you know, <laughs> like this yeah. is going to be hard, but we just have to, we have to get to know each other and figure out how we can make this work, you know, and eventually our relationship or our um, comp our series of compromises will grow into a friendship. And from there it will grow into hopefully um, an amazing love affair. But yeah, I yeah. think that's a great way to look at marriage overall. Right. Oh, like, absolutely. Hey, this is yeah. about to be really hard. Like we, you know, we're all yeah. lovey-dovey. <laughs> we love each other. But like, <laughs> let's just also admit, I might want to stab you. I, I, I might want to get my own apartment. <laughs> At some point in our marriage. <laughs> I think about that sometimes of like sharing a bed with someone or like just a room. Like I've never shared a room in my entire yeah. life. So oh, even really? just that. I'm, yeah. Because no. I. Yeah. No. My my brother's had to share a room. Whatever. Oh, see you yeah. Later. Uh, but yeah. So I've thought about that. Like, oh, it's not going to be good for me. Um, the way I, you know, I've only been married three years. Like I so could not claim to be an expert on marriage or have this like sage relationship advice to give. But the one thing I do tell all of my friends who are still single is that being married is like absolutely the best thing and the hardest thing I have ever mm. done in my life. You know, like it's, you love this person like unconditionally. You can't imagine your life without them. And like concurrently, you're like, what the F are you thinking? That, that, seems anyway. to confirm, that seems to confirm all of my thoughts. <laughs> oh, oh it's so. great. It's, being married is awesome. I would not change. I would never change it ever. But yeah, it is. I'm sh and I'm sure like my husband would say the same thing about me. Like, could you just like not worry about being about the house being vacuumed for like five seconds? <laughs> no, I can't not worry about it. <laughs> You're you like, knew uh -uh. who I was when you married me. <laughs> You're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love, oh, that's, that's pretty funny. Um, so, so yeah, so that's just, I, I love, I love that story of how they ended up there. Um, and I guess they like it if they stayed through all the winters. So yeah. 
So I, I have a couple friends who are first generation and they, everybody seems to end up in the Midwest, something like there's little pockets of things, but, um, I kind of wanted to lean a little into what you were saying about, I mean, there wasn't really any like overall diversity, like you were kind of all on your own. I mean, in some ways of just Mm -hmm. growing up and like, what was that like? Yeah, it was, uh, (laughs) it wasn't easy. I will say, um, what can I say about growing up in South Dakota? You know, okay, so one, there's not a lot of diversity, right? So automatically, off the bat, you walk into a room and you're different. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a room and people have stopped talking and turned them to look at me growing up because I'm the only person of color, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I've had people ask us, I've had people come up to my family at the mall and ask if we were on welfare. We've had, after after 9-11, we've had people... We had there was a kid that pointed and said, "Hey, those are the people that did that and did that to the in those airplanes, right, mommy?" Oh no! You know, right? Like I have, and this is—it's not funny at all, but it, it speaks to the level of ignorance. Like I've been called the N-word. <laughs> My brother has been um, been told like he was riding his bike with his best friend on the bike trails, um, and people rode past them and yelled, "Go back to China." <laughs> I mean, uh, and then like, just oh, ex- like, of course, and this is why America is so far behind in like education uh, and literacy. I know, like, right? I like, oh my gosh, like stop a whole it! Podcast. Beyond like you just being <laughs> racist and ignorant, like you're just uh, we're you know. I, just, I mean, and but that's the thing, right? Right. Like, you grow up in areas like this, and it, of course, it molds you. But that's not to say that like while that existed and that was something I had to be aware of. Um, Let me say this too, before I move on to my next thought, actually, what growing up in South Dakota as one of very few minorities, my parents were very clear about our role in that society in terms of the fact that (laughs) my dad would say, listen, whatever you do, how at whatever you choose to do, you need to be the best at it. You need to work as hard as you can work to be the best because these people, these are, you are the only Indian person that these people might ever meet in their life, you know, Mm. and you are going to affect their perception of all Indian people. You are going to define their perception of what they think of an entire people group based on your actions inside and outside of this house, inside church and outside church, in school and out outside of school, how you hang out with your friends, if you're respectful to your elders, all of these things, if you get in trouble at school. So, I mean, talk about pressure to put on me and my brother, <laughs> like, at a yeah. very young age, right? And But in terms of, you know, positive outcomes, like, both me, or, me and my brother are extremely hard workers, you know, and mm-hmm. and we're very respectful. It's the one thing that we always try to do is be extremely respectful, even in difficult situations. You know, I, it's just something that I always want to walk away knowing that I can stand by my actions and I can stand by my words. And so, and that's something that we we had to do as, um, as just a part of growing up in a place where we were the only representation of anybody from India. I will also say this. I had a lot of people ask me 
instead of asking in a respectful way of like, what's your ethnic background or what's your family's heritage or where did Mm -hmm. your family move from? They would ask, um, what are you? Like, you're not white. Like, what are you? (laughs) And so um, I would say I'm Indian and because I am. And Mm -hmm. they would give me a really dirty look because they thought that I meant Native American. And then Uh, I would have to quickly, quickly clarify, no, 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 like from India. Like my parents are from India. And then they were like, oh, okay. Okay, that's cool. (laughs) Anyway, all that being said. (laughs) Yeah, but I... Oh, go ahead. I think that also speaks... No, 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 you don't have to be sorry about anything. Um, No, I think that also (laughs) just speaks to... I was kind of laughing because it's like, yes, we called people Indians and they weren't. And, the, you know, and it just, it leads oh, to all yeah. of these other things. But just to think of uh, how many times you've just had to explain the simpleness of like who you are. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's not that, it's not that I don't see color or ethnicities or race or any of that. I, I think that for whatever reason, just, I grew up around a lot of different, um, cultures, even in suburban California. But I think about that a lot of how there are so many of my friends who didn't get the privilege of just being able to enter into a room. And it's just like, oh, hey, there's Samantha, you know, instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, you have to explain all of this stuff. Like, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, being being white, you you take advantage of a lot of things that you don't realize necessarily. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I never had to come into a room and explain who I was, where I was from, where my parents were from. You know, I, I don't think yeah. I could have ever mm-hmm. done that. It was just like, I don't know. I'm from Vacaville. I mean, what yeah. it, that yeah. means, some, you know, like you don't, you don't have the words for it. You don't have any of that. So like you, all of those experiences for you were just accelerated. Like you had to be so aware of who you were and where you were from at an early age that Mm -hmm. by the time you're having most of those conversations, you're like, well, I've already had this conversation with so many people. And a lot of people don't have to do that. Well, yeah, that's definitely part of it. I mean, that wasn't, I mean, honestly, beyond like the, like, the racism that we experienced at a very young age, like I would say the hardest part of growing up in South Dakota was just the fact that like my parents were trying to raise us in this insular like home where they maintained uh, these Indian values and standards, but we were consistently, consistently like pushed out into this world where the, the culture and the values were different, you know, and having like going to high school and having all of your, your, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, white-skinned friends tell you, oh, my parents are, my parents are um, driving me and my boyfriend on a date this weekend or whatever. And you were like, not even allowed to like talk to boys that didn't go to your church, you know, like, Mm. you know, like just that Mm -hmm. type of things. Like my parents did let me go to um, a couple of school dances, but it was after a lot of begging and pleading and negotiating and you'll you will be home at this time and, and this person will drive you and you can't go anywhere else and like if I hear that you're talking to these people that we don't approve of like we'll come get you right away like and they had like my parents had like spies 
I swear to God, they had spies <laughs> at, like everywhere. <laughs> they would always find out. Like I was always, I was terrified. Honestly, I grew up in a state of terror every day that my parents, that I would do something that I didn't even realize was wrong because all of my friends were doing it. And I would come home and my parents would be super pissed at me. And I didn't even understand why. Like <laughs> that was honestly, that was the hardest. Because all my friends who went to the same church as me were doing the same thing. So if they're doing it, like, why can't I do it? Well, right. you're Indian. That's why you're Indian. We don't, we don't do things like that. We don't live our life that way. Well, can we go live around other Indian people then? Because this sucks. Like, <laughs> you know, it's fun. Did you, did you see um, Hassan Minaj's Netflix special? No, I haven't watched it yet. Okay. So there was just something in there that he talked about of, um, you know, being first generation. And he was, you know, he, he grew up not too far from where I'm from. And but he was talking about how when you graduate high school or whatever, he's like, you know, for a lot of my American friends, they didn't understand that, like, cool, like you graduate from high school, basically your parents are like, do whatever. We don't care. I mean, there's a little bit of, you know, people wanting you to go to college or whatever, but yeah. you're basically your own person. He was like, yeah, not, he's like, not for me. He's like, no. not for a lot of immigrant kids. Like you yeah. are still representing your family. You are yes. representing everything that they stand for. Yes. You don't get to just go be your own person. So oh, that was no, when, when you were all. saying all of those things, I was like, Oh, this, it's all true. Oh, yeah, it's 100% true. And that's also like, you're the reason and I don't know if this is like a healthy way to look at it. And maybe other that I can only speak for my experience in this particular instance. But um, well, in all instances, obviously, I can only speak for my own experience. <laughs> but but so I will say like, I was the reason that my parents struggled, right? I was the reason that my parents worked 12, 14 hour days was because they were doing that for me so I could have a better life, so I could have more opportunities, so I could come and live in the United States and be a citizen and have way more rights and opportunities than women in India do. It's still to this day, like if you're walking alone at night in India and you get raped, it's your fault for being alone at night in India. You know, like why oh was she out on her own? And that's still that's that's very much the norm there you know and I think a lot of people who live in India might say oh times are changing things are changing but uh, I have a hard time believing that um anyway so I, to me it's funny because yeah like there's a lot I mean it's like okay well I better do something with my life like there's no way I could just go off and like take a gap year you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. or like trap like backpack through Europe or you know like it's like no no like I watched my parents like break their backs just so we so I could take piano lessons and so I could go to school and um all of these things that that I wanted to do and so like I better freaking make something of myself otherwise it's like the utmost form of disrespect to throw away all of their effort for me to go do something that I just want to do. I mean, already I've like thrown it away because I didn't become a doctor after all these years, but, uh, Oh my goodness. What are we... So, so yeah. So what was, so was that the, the expectation? Yeah, absolutely. All the way through, all the way through my sophomore year of college when I 
went home sobbing to tell them that I had changed my major to media studies instead of, I think I was a biology major with every intention of being pre-med um, later on in my college career. Uh, <laughs> I went home sobbing and they were like, no, we're not paying for school. We're not doing this. Like, what, what do you mean you're not going to be a doctor? You know? And I was like, I can't do it. The smell of formaldehyde makes me nauseous. I can't like, <laughs> I just couldn't like, it was so obvious to me that God was putting me on a different path and like mm-hmm. pushing me in a different, to me it was so obvious, but what do you do when like all, like a lifetime of cultural expectation from like your entire family is like, no, you will study hard and you will become a doctor and you will make your family proud and you will make a lot of money. That's also a thing, you know, you better make money, whatever you do, you better make money, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, what, what is it about the, the being a doctor? Cause I've heard that from a lot of, a lot of my friends who come from immigrant families. And I'm always curious, like, is it, just the status of it, the the money, the prestige, or... Uh, yeah, I think it's all of that. I think it's very okay. much like a status. Um, it's status, and it's, yeah, it's prestige, it's money, it makes you very... It makes... Your parents can, like, brag about you being a doctor. I think... Gotcha. Probably, like, in Indian culture, maybe even in the caste system, like, the, the people who were doctors were, were of a very high caste. Sure. So... I mean, that's what I think. I don't actually know. I could be totally wrong. But um, I'm assuming that that's why being a doctor or just anything that's prestigious. Like right now, I would say the most like um, attractive career paths for Indian parents would be like doctor, engineer, uh, pharmacist, maybe. Um, Yeah, I feel like that's that might be it. Well, so, so you so you didn't you didn't no, didn't sure but didn't. but I mean you found you found a different path. So you told him you wanted to do media studies and, and Yeah, so I did media study. <laughs> I did I got my undergraduate degree in media studies and then I mean to be honest, I my senior year of college I was like, "Why well, I'm so not ready." to like get a job and pay pay bills like I just I don't think I was like emotionally or mentally like mature enough for that and so Mm -hmm. I just um applied to graduate school and I got my master's degree in journalism from the University of Kansas and after two years of school there then I was unemployed for a year with a master's degree which was great so I was really killing it I was checking all of the Indian parents (laughs) check boxes of expectations. Oh gosh. I really, it's so funny. I I went to Diwali celebration last night and I was like telling them, you guys, I'm really not a good Indian daughter. Like I really am not. And, um, as I'm talking to you now, I'm like, yeah, you're right, Samantha. You are not a really, you are not a good Indian daughter. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) You're a but new you know, kind. no. <laughs> so, so yeah, I guess I'm a new. I'm redefining that yeah. stereotype of what a good Indian daughter can be. Because you know what? Like, even though I don't check any of their boxes, I, uh, I pay my own bills. I mean, I work real hard. <laughs> like, what can I? What else can I do? 
Mm-hmm. I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. I try to be a good person. Anyway, I feel like it's... we're getting off track here. No, 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 no. <laughs> we're not because, um, no, because you, you were talking about the, the year of unemployment, um, you know, after you were trying to, to figure out some of that stuff. And I, you know, I've talked about this on the show before, but I mean, I've been laid off four times in oh. my sweet short life. And there is something, I do kind of want to lean into that a little bit, just uh, what unemployment can do to for like your sense of self. And like, I think every time that it's happened, I know that it's because there was something that was better for me. Like I had to say goodbye to something to get something better. But I, I mean, when you're in it, I mean, the first time it was a year and a half and it was like 2009 oh, and it, but oh, you're like, I employed then too. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, oh my gosh. I was just sitting in my little tiny baby studio in Los Feliz. That was the cheapest one anywhere in the city. And I could touch, um, both sides of the wall with, uh, like just standing Aww. in the middle, I could touch. Yeah, but I would just stay in there. I would go to Costco and get big thing of Cheerios and wow. basically <laughs> Cheerios and macaroni and cheese. Uh, oh, you know what I yeah. do is I would, get, I would get ramen and bags of frozen veggies and just like every day I would make, I would eat half the ramen pack because I was like rationing it out and I would like put like a little bit of like frozen veggies in the water as I was like cooking up the ramen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was getting some nutrients that way with the frozen, the bag of like the mixed frozen veggies. See, oh. I didn't even, I didn't even do that. I think, um, oh, cause also I, I just had a, a hot plate, my, oh. my studio, like I didn't have like a kitchen. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was living big, but, um, but anyway, at least you're eating some vegetables, but I guess, I guess I was really lucky in that I, I had a job at the start of 2009 and then I got laid off for the second time in six months. So that was awesome. Um, and then I happened to be at the time renting a condo for my cousin. And he was really good to me. And I um, I paid my rent like on time for the most part. But towards the end of that unemployment season before I found a new job. Yeah. I, he, like he let me pay rent late a couple times. A couple times he let me split it up into payments. Like he was really good to me. Um, I suppose that's the perk of renting from family, but yeah, if it, well, I mean, I don't know what I would have done if I had just been renting from like a rando. I mean, honestly, like I look back at that time, like that time in particular, I mean, it was the longest, but also 2008, 2009, a lot of people were laid off. So jobs that you maybe thought that you could get easily. I remember like there was a temp agency that I had worked for previously and done some, you know, just answering phones, whatever. This was also like when on your resume, you could say, I know how to work a multi-line phone system. And that was like mm. impressive. But yeah. And, and now no people are like, what? Just email. It's just email. But, um, yeah. but yeah, but even just to answer phones for a day, wherever you had to have two years of executive assistant, like experience. So I was like, all right, well, okay. So (laughs) I'm not going to be doing it. And I was, I was on my resume that I have a master's degree. Like, did you get that? 
Did you There's some, get that? You know, like, I, I think that, I think there were a lot of people who are in our boat in that time frame of just like, yeah. what do you even do now? Like, how, how do you, and you, I mean, you do, you pick yourself up, but in that thing, like, you really don't know what to do. And like, I'm always curious too, like, do you, did those instances push you or motivate you to do something different or how did it kind of change like your overall perspective of what you wanted for your own life? You know, being unemployed. Okay. So I've been unemployed twice. I was unemployed in 2006, 2007 after I graduated from grad school. Um, and when I was quote unemployed, I still was substitute teaching every day in the Sioux Falls school district. Cause I'd moved home after school. So I substitute taught every day. And then I worked nights and weekends at Bath and Body Works in the mall. So I was technically unemployed cause I wasn't like using my, my, you know, undergrad or graduate degree, but I was still working two mm-hmm. jobs. Um, that was the hardest year of my life. Probably one of them, because I, was living at home, so unhappy, and just, like, not knowing what, like, I didn't even know, like, what job I wanted. Like, I couldn't figure out which, like, career track to pursue. I was dabbling in grant writing a little bit. I was thinking about maybe the nonprofit sector. I I knew that I didn't want to really be a journalist, which was, like, the most awesome decision to make since I had a master's degree in journalism. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I just... I just didn't know anything. And then when you're in that position and then you have um, Indian parents breathing down your neck saying like, well, look at everybody else you graduated with. They're all successful and they're all doing this and that. And like, how come you don't want a job and this one pays this much money? Why don't you want to even apply? Like all these things. But I just could sense that like God is calling me in a different way. And I don't know where it is yet, but I'm just trying to figure it out. And if everybody could just get off my back for a second, that would be great, you know? <laughs> uh-huh, course, I've been there. I know. But uh-huh. a, right, like, and it's probably true for all families, but, like, in my family, you know, like, I was like, right. oh, my God, would everybody just leave me the F alone? Like, I'm so <laughs> over all of you, you know? And then um, the second time I was living in L.A., so the way I cl- clawed myself out of that awful year was that, I um, ended up applying for a job in LA. My cousin had told me about it. He's like, I know this position is open. And I didn't even know what I was applying for. At that point, it had been a year. I had a master's degree. I was like, here's my resume, whatever. I don't even, I have zero expectations, you know? I have nothing to lose. And so they ended up hiring me over the phone. And I just like packed up my little Honda Civic. And the only thing I brought with me were books and clothes. (laughs) And I like drove over the Rocky Mountains over into LA and started work like the next, like two days later after I got there. Oh my and gosh. And so I know it was such a culture shock from living, mm. going from South Dakota to Los Angeles. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. But it was so, it was the best thing that I'd ever done. It was absolutely the best thing I'd ever done for myself, like mm. in terms of just like, knowing that it's going to be scary, knowing that it's going to be hard and just do it anyway. You know that there's going to be a reward at the end of this. So I got laid off from that job. 
<laughs> so then that was my, that started my second year of unemployment. <laughs> and at that point I was like, okay, how do I, what do I do? Cause even then I was like, I still don't even know what I want to do. Like, how did I, how did I fall into this? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think during those two years, it really just, I would say it taught me like, I really believe that everything in life comes in seasons. And so those two years were really difficult seasons. And in between, there's been really good things that have come out of it. So after that second year of unemployment, I found a job um, as a marketing coordinator. It's sort of just what got me started in the world of marketing. Um, And I learned so much. I worked for that company for three years and before they were sold, actually, and then all the corporate employees got laid off. But we, I learned so much and it just grew my confidence so much to, to know that like, okay, I can work and I can work well and I'm a fast learner and I've had people telling me like, you're doing good work, you know? So I don't know. I think just like trusting the fact that like, even if you're in a hard season, like it will not last forever. And if you're in a really good season, that's not going to last forever either, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, trusting, I think just trusting that like, God or the universe or whatever you believe in um, has a plan for you and that it is 100% to to help you and not to harm you, to grow you into a stronger, more developed person so you can put more good into the world and into the universe so you can invest what the universe is investing into you is expected to be invested back into the world. If you are greatly blessed, it is your responsibility to bless others. Um, that's truly what I believe at my, in my core. And so mm-hmm. in these really hard times, I took it and I learned from it and I learned about myself and I grew in a way where I just, it, it helps you understand that like, even though this is hard, like there will be harder times and there will be better times, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And you can look back at that hard season and say, oh, yeah, I got through that. I can definitely get through this, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And that yeah. for me, personally, like for me, it's like God was God was teaching me and preparing me through this terrible season mm-hmm. um, so I could get to this next hurdle and, and overcome it quickly and, and maintain an even stronger and deeper level of faith. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yes to all of that. That one of the <laughs> things that one of my improv teachers used to say to us, like I remember we had a really bad show. It was bad. <laughs> like it, it was it was just it was so bad and we all got off stage and we were like, Man, that really that sucked. That was really <laughs> bad. And um and my teacher, he just looked at us and he was like, Could always be better, it could always be worse. And I've just kind of held on to that. Like even in those times too, where you feel like you've hit rock bottom, Uh like it could always, you know, something else could always, uh, another bottom could come out. And so I think that, you know, enjoying those times where you feel like you're on top or whatever, and also kind of digging into when the you're, you have those struggles, but also just knowing like life is just all about, balance and you know sometimes you're going through a limbo but you you will come out on the other side if you just stick with whatever it is and I I absolutely agree with you of like if you're blessed you are 
supposed to pay that forward, help other people. I think that's the only way all of us will, you know, get out of this with any kind of like sanity because blessing other people, you will be blessed. You know, it's, it's that whole thing of abundance and gratitude and yeah, I think people don't lean into it enough. Uh, so, so you, so you got out, so you were three years working and then, and then what, three what years working. So actually what happened, this was really, this was really cool. So I had that year of unemployment and then three mm-hmm. years of really amazing work experience. And I worked with really smart people. And the coolest part was that everybody I worked with is honest. Like there wasn't the culture of like, save an email in case you have to prove that you did your job. Like everyone was <laughs> honest and nice and hardworking, you know, like what that is was, that it was like, like- Right. It was just like (laughs) such an amazing environment. Um, So then the company was sold and we all got laid off. And so I was going to get like three, like I ended up getting four months worth of severance. And at the time that we were laid off and it was like our last, it was like our last day, a lot of people Mm -hmm. had found jobs and I still hadn't found a job. And I was like, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have four months worth of severance. So I'll be okay. Like, Anyway, I had been interviewing and just talking to a couple of other companies and this company hired me um, and I started with them like almost like the next week. Like I barely had any time off in between jobs the way it worked out. And I will tell you that that year of unemployment with that company was one of the hardest working years of my life. I had a supervisor that was not a good supervisor. I just like didn't feel like there was any real leadership and I was really sort of floating around trying trying to do my job and at the same time like not knowing you know like is this Mm -hmm. right is this what they want like I don't really understand what the expectations are um Mm -hmm. so I worked for them for a year and at that time they were like well we really want you to move to Denver but we're not quite sure like when but you know, so stay in LA and then eventually there might be a position for you in Denver. And I was like, okay, like that sounds good to me because at that point I had been in LA for about six years and a lot of my friends had moved away and I was, Mm -hmm. I was sort of ready, you know, like, and I also felt like very strongly that like, you have to, (laughs) this is crazy that I'm going to say this out loud and on a podcast. Oh my gosh. Only my closest friends know. Oh, only my closest friends know this, but I, had spent that last year in LA really, really lonely. And just, it was just me and God, right? Like I, Mm -hmm. that was the only relationship that I really was in, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I was so lonely. And I knew, I knew in my core that I needed to move to Denver because that's where my husband lived. This job opportunity arises where I'm like, okay, I have to look for jobs in Denver because I know that I have to move there. I know that's where God is calling me to, to live. Um, this opportunity arises and they're like, yes, we want you to stay in LA right now, but then like eventually we're going to move you to Denver. And so I'm like, okay, this is exactly, I think what I've been praying for. I take the position. It ends up being so not a good fit for me. And about six to eight months into that position, they say, there's no position in Denver. Sorry. So I'm like, what the F? And I've been like (laughs) suffering with this like (laughs) terrible. You know, like I was like, I've been so mm-hmm. unhappy. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to look for a job, new job in LA. And then 
Denver will happen like if and when it's meant to be, you know? So I start, I like just start looking and then um, at almost at the one year mark, they're like, never mind, we need you to move and we need you to move like ASAP, which is was par for the course for them. And so I was like, okay, well, I can't move like right now, but I'll move, I'll get there. So I at, basically at the year mark, I end up moving to Denver. Um, and I already know that I don't want to work for this company once I get mm-hmm. to Denver. So I, I move on my own dime because I didn't want to have to like reimburse. I don't want them to pay for it. And then I would have to reimburse them if I left like right away, you know, I reach out to my contacts in Denver and, um, I remember pulling up to my apartment that I found getting the keys and my friend was helping me move. We went to a happy hour. And when we left, um, I had a voicemail from somebody who was like, Hey, like, give me a couple days. I have a position for you. And I was like, Oh, praise the Lord. So I show up for work on the first day in my Denver office. Um, and, uh, this is at the job that I hate. And, uh, I meet my husband who is the IT guy and sets up my computer in my cubicle. <laughs> and, and um, later in the week, the guy that had left me the voicemail was like coming for an interview. And then he offered me a position the following week. So I start on a Monday. I interview later that week. The following Tuesday, Luke and I go on our first date and I've already accepted a position and was planning to give um, notice that, fr- that Friday at the two week mark. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it worked out. <laughs> so at the end, all that at the end of the at the end of that whole year, I was like, sweet. I took the job thinking I was gonna move to Denver, knowing that this is where my husband is at. And at the end of the year, I was living in Denver, had met my husband, and had a new job <laughs> lined up. Like it was like so just like, oh my gosh, I feel like this is exactly like how the universe, like how God works, mm-hmm. you know, like this is like, just stay faithful. Just you, you knew that I was calling you to Denver. You knew that this was the job that I put in front of you to take. Just stick with it. Just keep walking with me. I'm going to get you through this. And literally like almost to the year mark, I, he had like blessed me like so like amazingly. I love that. Yeah, it was, it's quite the story, I suppose. It is quite the story. Sometimes when I tell it, I have to say sometimes, like, as I was saying it now, like, I feel like that almost makes me, I feel like I put God in, like, a bad light almost. Like, just suffer a little bit, and then I'll reward you for suffering. Which is not, that's, like, not what I meant to say. (laughs) But I don't, I'm having trouble putting it differently. No, I think. I I think one of the things, and also, I don't think you have to believe in in God. Some people, you know, whatever it is that you hold on to. Like, whatever it is, yeah. That there are times where you get a sense of, I know this is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. I just don't know when those doors are going to open. I'll tell you that I, I, it was probably... So I, you know, I first moved to LA when I was 19. I left and I came back when I was 21. And it was a Young Life leader uh, who set me up with my first roommate. But that is why I um, went to Bel Air Press. Um, oh, yeah. And 
So, and also, listeners, Samantha and I were in the same friend group at church in L.A. We were. Um, And and Beller, it really, like, blessed me more than, more than I was anticipating. But I was leaving L.A. for the first time. I, I just, I wasn't ready. I didn't really have all of my, my things in order. I was just so young. I was Mm -hmm. doing acting classes and stuff, but I just, I wasn't prepared. So I will never forget, but it was a sermon that Pastor Mark was, was doing and he was talking about Abraham Lincoln and how, uh, he had been running for, you know, Senate, governor, all of these different things. He won some, but he lost a lot of offices and he ran for Senate. Was it Senate or governor? It was one of those, uh, no, it was Senate, because I also, I, I did a, a Beto um, O'Rourke comparison the other day for someone. Oh, I was like, right. oh, don't worry, Lincoln lost the Senate, and then he was president two years later. Ah. But, um, so Pastor Mark was telling this whole story, and, you know, he was like, he lost the Senate, and two years later, he was president. He said, that's a case of knocking at the right door, it's just the wrong time. Yeah. And um. for me, that was so big. For being in LA, feeling like that was my place at that time, and like, oh, okay, I'm gonna come back. Like, I think that mm-hmm. there's sometimes deep inside of us that we know we are meant for something, that there is something in our fate, our destiny, uh, and you just don't know how you're gonna get there. You don't know how everything is gonna line up, and then you're just faithful and like, nope, I believe that this is the path for me, and those doors open when they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope that wasn't too like woo woo, but I no, I don't think so. <laughs> well, and I think even if you take like the element of like, so you and I went to church, right? We're like we're both Christians, but like even if yeah. you take the element of Christianity out of it, and if you're a truly like a secular person, you can still believe that the universe works in a, a particular way. And I believe that like mm-hmm. the universe does work in that way. Like that there are seasons that we've talked about previously, but also like there is a path for every single person and that doors do open. And like you and I believe that God opens those doors, but you don't have to believe that God is the one doing that. Like you can believe mm-hmm. that it's the universe or, mm-hmm. you know, like mother mm-hmm. nature or the earth or whatever it is yeah. that you believe in. And I think that those elements and those principles are still true regardless of your faith or what oh, faith sure. umbrella that you fall in under. Yeah. Yeah. Like absolutely. It has to, I, I have a real, like one of my closest friends um, is not a Christian and she and I talk a lot about like God's plan. She still believes in God. Um, and we very much were like, things have to happen organically. They have to happen naturally. Otherwise, if you're forcing it, you know, it's really not like it, it might not be like the right plan for you. It might not be God's plan. It might not be what the the timing that the universe has in store, you know? Yeah. I think, too, it's like listening. It's it's listening to uh, the things that are also listening and looking at the things that are happening around you. Because when it was like one, I was kind of I was in the middle of being unemployed uh and for my long stint and improv acting just kind of, I felt like I was just hitting walls. Like everything I was trying just wasn't working. And so I was like, but this is the thing that I've dreamed about my whole life. This is what I thought Mm -hmm. I was supposed to be doing. And I've told this story before, but 
I had this epiphany on a 4th of July when I got ditched by a group of friends who decided to go to a a party in Malibu. And I was like, fine, I'm just going to stay in my tiny apartment. And (laughs) I was standing, I was standing on my toilet eating a hot dog and um, looking out my window because I could see the fireworks at the beach. Um, you know, but I had this epiphany of like, I need to go to college. And it just kind of, I was like, where did that come from? Right. And then that kind of started a whole thing where I started going to school, was going to Santa Monica. Then I transferred up to Mills in Oakland. I moved back to Northern California, went on yeah. a, you know, a whole journey, but it's like, I think too, yes, it's also paying attention and seeing like, oh, okay, I thought this was the path. These doors seemed like really closed. Like there's no indication mm-hmm. that they'll open. And if they open later, mm-hmm. then they open later. But I think it's, it's just being aware of what is really happening, not pushing those things, but, and also just trusting too, that if something really is inside of you, like you have this this dream or this belief, this intuition, it will happen. It can even come back around. Yeah, absolutely. You could, absolutely. you know, live this whole windy life and something can come back around. I think that, I, I think we shouldn't uh, underestimate the power of a great story with like, Oh, absolutely. How we end up where we are. So, so, so what, what are the things that you're excited about now? Now, oh my goodness, what am I excited about? You know, I will say, so I have a full-time job that I love, um, and I also started my own marketing consulting company, Um, and I love both things. It's so hard for me to, when people ask, like, do you ever think you'll take your your side hustle full-time? I mean, honestly, I... (sighs) I, that's so hard for me to answer because I love my full-time job. I love the people I work with. Um, and right now, like financially, like it's really nice to have like extra income on top of a full-time salary because we can, um, do a lot of planning for our future that we wouldn't necessarily be able to do with, with just, with just a full-time income, you know, like Mm -hmm. having that extra, extra money really helps. Um, but I will say right now, what I'm really excited about is I've, um, tried to create a space, um, in November and December for me to rest. Um, I've been working really, really hard this year. Uh, and I have found that I'm just, my heart isn't in it with a couple of things, with a couple of different areas in my life. And I know that's not, that's not normal for me. It's not normal for me to not even want to give a hundred percent. It's not normal for me to not care even, um, and so I'm, I'm actively creating space in my life to rest and reflect on this year and do a little just like self-evaluation, like what worked for me this year, what brought me joy, what brought me happiness, what motivated me and what was just really draining, you know, um, Every time I start a year, I always make goals. I make like a list of like unachievable, like unrealistic, just like I'm going to do all of these Mm -hmm. things, you know. Um, And by the end of the year, I usually have come to to a place where I'm at peace with the fact that that goal didn't serve me. You know, that that Mm -hmm. idea was not it's not the right place or it's not the right time or whatever it is. Right. It might be something like we said that comes full circle and maybe it ends up being something else in the future, you know. Um, this year I didn't really have, 
goals besides continuing to work full time and setting some specific goals for my side hustle. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the start of the year, I was very adamant that my side hustle would be debt free. I borrowed for myself. So to be debt free and then to be fully funded, which it is, um, it's self funded. Mm -hmm. So I pay all my business expenses with the revenue I generate for my side hustle, which I'm very proud of. Um, But then I also had some specific consistent revenue goals, which I ended up meeting I ended up meeting those goals like probably in I would say June, July timeframe and have consistently made a, that expectation of income ever since. Um, so that's really exciting. Uh, yeah. So in this year now, like now that it's like the middle of November, which I can't believe, um, I want to I, I want to figure out like, OK, like what's what's next? Like, what can I do? personally and professionally to just Mm -hmm. grow and be a better person and better serve the community that I'm in. Um, And what can I do to be a better wife to Luke? And yeah. I love that. I'm I'm, I'm excited to rest. I'm excited to reflect. I'm I'm very excited for some quietness in my life. Yeah, I think that rest is, uh, it's underappreciated, it's underestimated. Uh, I think people talk about rest sometimes as this thing that no one has time for. But, yeah. you know, I, I used to do this yoga class, and, and at the end, we would, we would be in Shavasana, and there would always be... A, so it was also a yoga class at my gym, which I have mixed feelings about yoga yeah. at, at the gym, you know, because not if you go to a yoga studio, it's just different. But there would always be a handful of women who could not just lay on the ground and be still. So they would always have to get up and always have to leave. And uh, of course, they were just they were ruining my concentration. But but, right. <laughs> but you know, rest is something being still and um, reflecting is is something that people have a really hard time with. And I want to say I've been reading a lot of different stuff lately. So I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was Brene. It was Brene Brown. Of course, I'm sure it was Brene Brown. (laughs) Queen Brene, I love that woman. Queen. um, But she was talking, I'm pretty, anyway, whatever. If I I get it wrong, I get it wrong. No, but we we need like, Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> we need. Do you listen to Armchair Expert? No. What is the that? podcast? Oh my gosh! So it's the Dax Shepard okay. podcast, and it's so okay. good. But he co-hosts with Monica Padman, who is uh-huh. um just like his awesome co-host, and she does a fact check after every episode. So like, if there's anything that they talk about that they're not quite sure, she she does a fact check, and then she like they like rehash everything so people know like this is what's actually true. <laughs> Oh, I feel well, like we yeah. need a, we uh-huh. need a Monica Padman well, check fact check. You know, I I I have worked as a freelance fact checker more than once. So, <laughs> um <laughs> I love a good fact check. Um yeah. which also side note, people will just need to fact check stuff that they like share literally the everything they read on like, the internet basically. Yes. So, um, <laughs> but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that it was her anyway, whatever. I'll just I'll say it. Um but creating space for boredom 
It was her because I I have like four of her books that are checked out from the library right now. And I've been reading a nice. little bit of each of them because I'm trying to get my timing right for when some of them are due. It's yeah, it's it, the, my my free my my experience at the library has been a little intense lately because everything I put on hold came available at once. And so, oh, no. Any, anyway, but um, but she was talking about this whole idea of we don't allow ourselves just the freedom of being bored, of not filling our lives with so many things. And that boredom creates opportunities for creativity. It creates those times where you can connect things that you wouldn't have connected. I mean, I can even think of so many times I've been in the car and sometimes I'll just turn the radio off, no music, and I'm just sitting with myself And I have some of my best thinking, not because I'm also forcing myself, but I'm just like, let's just cut the noise out. Let's just, let's just see what happens. Like creating some white space for you just to be. Yep. Yep. I think that's that's so important. I so agree. And I also think like in this world of entrepreneuring, um, there's like this glorification of work and hustling and like we call it a side hustle, you know, and, and that's not to diminish the fact that like, if you are going to start your own company, if you have the goal of working for yourself, yes, you have to be willing to work and you have to be willing to work at inconvenient or inopportune times. Um, my, there's, I, uh, am so blessed to have married into a family, uh, full of entrepreneurs. My mother-in-law is just this amazing woman. And my uncle-in-law also has a very successful company that he built, you know, from the ground up. And um, so I have these amazing mentors in my life. And I often look, I often think like, what would they do in this situation, you know? (laughs) Um, And, and that's one, the most common thing is like, yeah, it's your, it's your baby. Like my uncle-in-law has said, like, if your baby wakes up in the middle of the night and needs something, like, what do you do? You wake up, even though you don't want to wake up and you, you do what you need to do for your kid. Right. And he's like, mm-hmm. that's, it's exactly the same thing as running your own business. Like you have to be willing at any time of the day or night, um, put in the work, take care of what needs to be taken care of. And so that's, it's, it's so true when it comes to starting your own company, it's, it's the highs are higher and the lows are lower, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and so the, I don't want to diminish the fact that like you have to work hard in order to do something worth doing and worth having. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people don't do it because that, that amount of work is, is really difficult to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that risk is really scary for people. It's, it's, it terrifies me. And this is only a side hustle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, we need to learn to care for ourselves as well. While we are working and investing in this company, you can't give your best to something if you are not at your best. And I follow um, Melissa Hartweg, who is the creator of the Whole30, co-creator, I guess, mm-hmm. of the Whole30. And she is really good about talking about this. You have to treat your, you have to care for yourself the way you would care for your best friend or the way that your best friend would care for you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that means giving your, yourself enough sleep, eating the right foods, um, nourishing your soul in some way. I believe that a lot of people, that's like what goes out the window. The first 
when you start to think about health de- deteriorating, I think spiritual mm-hmm. nourishment is the first thing, you know, whether that's, whether that looks like um, spending time outdoors, spending time with family, um, meditation, Bible study, whatever it is, um, maybe it's just getting a massage or something or going for a walk by yourself, you know, whatever that is like that, that fuels you or recharges you like that needs to happen Mm -hmm. first, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think I do, like I said, I don't want to diminish the amount of work it takes to own your own company. And I do think that hard work is important and that hustling is important, but equally important is the amount of care that you take for yourself. And that doesn't mean being lazy. It means actually taking care of yourself go work mm-hmm. out, do some meal prepping, make sure you're eating healthy foods, you know, like make sure that you're reading a book for fun or reading a book on personal development or something, you know? So I'm going to fact check myself. I just realized as you were talking about some of this, that it was not Brene. Was it Elizabeth Gilbert? I that. No. So it was, oh. um, I have a, a call. Um, my, I have a meditation app, Calm. C-A-L-M. And Mm -hmm. I had gone through one of their master classes on screen addiction. And that's where he was talking. It seemed very Brene Brown, but she probably talked about it on something, but I didn't read it. I'm sure that she did. So fact checked myself in the same episode. Um, But but so (laughs) so in this master class talking about screen addiction, it was the thing of being bored where that's yeah, where creativity will live and just letting your, your brain be free. But one of the things they also said, um, this doctor, he said that uh, being in nature is one of the best ways to rejuvenate your soul. So nice. going for a walk or I even do this sometimes um, on the Calm app. They have uh, a bunch of different nature sounds and, you know, there's something about a tropical beach or, you know, just the waves, whatever it is. And that's where I used to do some of my best thinking when I lived uh, in LA, I would drive uh, up the one and go up to Malibu, which let's just hope with the fires and stuff that it recovers. Um, I know, but that's where I would do my best thinking. And I would just sit at the beach for hours and Mm -hmm. I, I, I need to do more of that, but it was interesting. The, you know, the, the small things that can, can reset us, that can make us better people that sometimes we don't think of, you know, that sometimes fresh air can set off a whole whole bunch of things. But to to your point though, it's a full thing. It's not just, you know, uh, (laughs) a hashtag of self care or, you know, some of this, it's, it's not just getting like a manicure, or whatever those all of those things are wonderful, but I think it's right. like the the full thing of of what um of what that is because I remember for your business page you did a Facebook Live talking oh, about yeah. that yeah and that was great because you know I I say a lot of that same stuff on the show and I think a lot of people see things like. They see people like Gary Vaynerchuk, who I love Gary Vee. Yes, I love uh, Gary Vee. Yes. I love him. And and people will say, oh, like there's been medium articles and stuff of Gary <laughs> Gary Vee wants to kill you uh, because yeah. he wants people to work so hard. And, and he'll come back and he'll say, no, listen, like 
And for those of you who don't know, Gary Vaynerchuk is, he calls himself a serial entrepreneur. Like he invested in, he had uh, his wine club and then he invested in Twitter and Venmo and stuff. He's on YouTube. And now he has like this like media conglomerate basically. Yes. You can't can't miss him. You can't can't miss him. But but he was saying something the other day um, of, you need to make sure that everyone in your life is all right with what you're doing. And then you know mm-hmm. that you're okay. He was like, yeah, my, absolutely. If, if my, he goes, if my wife isn't cool with what's happening, something's changing. If my kids aren't cool with how things are happening, yep. something's changing. If my mom isn't yeah. cool, something's changing. So I think that and he, yeah. Uh-huh. No, I was going to say, he's also like such a great example of a, the immigrant story, like bringing us first full circle, right? Like he is yeah. um, the son of an immigrant. I can't remember if he immigrated as well or if he was born here. I think he might have immigrated he, as well. He did. Um, yeah, he did. He came over here. I want to say he was young. He was like eight or something. But yeah, yeah. he came over. And he started as like an early teen. He started selling baseball cards and was making like bank for like a 13 year old you know Mm -hmm. and then his dad made him come and start working in the liquor store but he saw his dad work put in the work so his family could Mm -hmm. have something better than what they had um previously you know and so I just I love I back to the hard work and the immigrant story that is 100% like what our parents do right and that's not to say that like that's not to say that non-immigrants don't work hard right like I don't I never, ever want to imply that ever, right? Like, but I do think that, like, when you're moving from a new country and you have no one and you are just trying to, like, make it in this brand new world, like, the Mm -hmm. only skill, the only thing that people can't take away from you, the only thing that people can't um, diminish is your ability to work and and your ability to work hard and do a job well, even if it's, even if it's a job that, like, nobody else wants, right? Like, Mm-hmm. working the McDonald's drive-thru or whatever it is, like cleaning a toilet, mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? And like there are immigrants also come here super educated and like get great like white collar jobs as well. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, I mean Luke moved from South Africa to the United States when he was after after university and he he's the first to say like yeah like when you move to a new country it's hard and he worked at Radio Shack for like two or three years while he was getting like recertified and all of the IT certifications he needed so he could get a better job, you know? I mean, that's just, that's just life, man. (laughs) That's just life for somebody who moves to a new country. You, you were probably way more qualified and then we make you do new things once you get here. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, but I mean, and that's the thing. Talk about being born here. I mean, I consider myself incredibly privileged just because I'm born here and I don't have to like get recertified in anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But no, I think that that was a great thing to bring it full circle of that no one can take away like the things that you do. You know, people might try and 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 tell you who you are but you ultimately like you are the only one who knows the people who are around yeah. you are the only mm-hmm. ones who know and uh i i'm just so thankful that you took the time to like chat with me about this i think uh there's immigrant or not like i think there's just so many wonderful things about 
this conversation that people can take. And I think there's something just really, really special about you and your family and your story. And I hope that a lot of people will be able to, you know, take a kind of a different look at what they think of um, an immigrant story, you know, would look like. But, you know, also that at the end of the day, we're all Americans. And yeah, we're absolutely you're, you know, you're no different than as much as you are, you know, in some ways, like you're you're no different than a lot of us. Like we're all just flesh and bone and we want the same thing and we're striving for the same stuff. And so basically you're awesome. Yeah. And I just I'm oh, I'm so you. thankful. Thanks. You are yes. awesome too. Thanks so much for having me. This was such a fun experience. Um Yay! I'm like looking like like thinking back to everything I said and I'm like, did I say anything wrong? Like did I am I gonna offend people? No, probably. There's, probably. Listen, <laughs> I correct myself all the time. There's so many times where after I'm like, oh boy. No, but you know, everything I was not like you were on track for so so much of it, so on point. Oh, I good. I'm so, so for those for those people who wanna find you, how can they yeah. find you and see what you're working on and and all those things. Oh my goodness. Um, so my side hustle is called J14 Marketing Strategies. Um, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on Google My Business. Uh, and my website is j14strategies.com. Um, I will say my content has not been updated in quite some time because I'm going back to the whole resting and mm -hmm. reflecting so that will start up next year um if you want to follow me personally i'm most active i mean you can look for me on samantha chalmers on facebook and i am sodak sam on instagram s-o-d-a-k-s-a-m on instagram so yes yeah ah go find her go be inspired seriously that facebook live it was so good um oh, but yeah, and and thank you for um to everyone who is is listening. Um go go follow Samantha and also if you aren't doing it already, head on over to amandapollock.com, get on my newsletter. There's going to be a lot of fun things happening after the first of the year. Uh maybe even before that, who knows, but if you're not on my newsletter, you won't know. But anyway, thank you for Yay. tuning in and I can't wait to be with you next week. <laughs>